Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to the Fantasy Keto Podcast. This is episode 112. Don't know about you, Jackie, but getting into the 100s now, this feels really unfamiliar territory. Yeah, well, it is unfamiliar, but those numbers are creeping up very quickly. Week by well, week. Yeah, it feels like a, a cricket score. We're getting nearly to, you know, a century and and a half a century, so 150. So um no, I know that you're not a you're not a sports fan, I know that, but um for us Australians, you know, coming into summer soon, we'll be be looking forward to that. Mm, yeah. I have nothing to say about cricket. Not a single <laughs> Well, Jackie, we're not here to speak about cricket. We're, we're here to hear from Natalie Coughlin, who is another one of the guests that you managed to, you know, wrangle from your attending the PHC conference. Yes, yeah. So I heard her talk. I thought she'd be great for our listeners that are having fertility issues because she had her own fertility issues and to and then she just happened to be right behind me in the queue for lunch so we got talking I said do you want to come on the podcast she said I'd love to come on the podcast and here she is so yes the the PHC conference food was absolutely delicious and you also managed to wrangle another guest so I think that's a real bonus plan for all the conference organizers but you're absolutely right. I mean, fertility is one of these secret business, you know, whether it's secret women's business, but, you know, it's secret family businesses that we don't tend to really associate with diet very much, you know, because there's a lot of medical interventions that, you know, people seek out, you know, in a medical way. But certainly what we understand, or, you know, the role of insulin, you know, across all the body systems, that it does affect, obviously, the reproductive tissues, such as the ovaries. And this is where a diet as an intervention actually, you know, has very positive effects, as we'll hear um, from Natalie, um, as to how her um, changing her diet has, you know, resulted in improving improvements in her fertility. Yeah, yeah. So, Jackie, why don't you tell us a bit more about Natalie? Welcome, Natalie, to the Fabulously Keto Podcast. It's fabulous that you're here with us today. Thank you. Hi, everyone. <laughs> we normally like to start with, you know, asking our guests, where in the world are you? I am currently in the UK in um, Northamptonshire, borders Buckinghamshire, looking out the lovely sunny day. Um, may we'll be up to thirty degrees today, so we're enjoying the summer here. Well, and what a summer you've had in the UK! So, you know, thirty is quite pleasant enough. Yeah, it's plenty. <laughs> Any higher, and it all everything becomes a bit unbearable. So this is just right. Yeah. Perfect. So, Jackie. Jackie was telling me um, just before that she met you in the lunch line at the Public Health Collaboration Conference. So, um, Jackie, that's obviously a really good place because the PHC always put on a good spread. Yeah, lovely food and lots of it, plenty of food, all low carb. Uh, there were some things that may be a bit higher carb, but yeah, it was good. We had quite a lot of nuts. I kept eating, I don't know about you, Natalie, but I kept eating the nuts. <laughs> and there was lots of peanuts in there as well. Yeah. 
but it was nice to see that nuts were the snack option compared to dried fruit or fruit bowl and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so Natalie had just been on stage, um, and then we, I think we broke for lunch straight after that or soon after. And, um, and I thought uh, while we were, while I was watching, I was thinking, oh, Natalie's going to be a good guest. And then she rocked up behind me in the queue. <laughs> Perfect timing. Meant to be, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, so what, why don't you tell us? Yeah. Yeah. Jackie's sort of, um, beating me to the question. Um, so why don't you tell us? Well, you were obviously at the PHC presenting. So, um, yeah. So tell us how you came to be involved in the low carb community. Yeah, definitely. Well, Sam Felton gave me a wonderful opportunity to tell my story at the PhD conference. I started as an ambassador probably in 2016, before my first son was born. Um, and I had probably spent a year or so just coming around to this new idea that fat shouldn't be feared, that it's sugar. And when we say sugar, not just obvious sweet stuff, but carbohydrates as a, as a whole, as the body just digests them into the sugars that they're made up of, that we should be looking at reducing and looking at how much we have in our diet and how we can switch that out for more protein and fat. So I started on that journey. Um, I was a trained nutritionist, um, had been trained in the, the typical UK dietary guidelines um started working in weight management after that qualification and sort of had a realization that this isn't working with giving out this dietary advice and people are losing a pound here or there said that you know they may be feeling better but the main factor was weight loss they wanted to lose weight and it wasn't happening and myself I was my own guinea pig if you like as I always am with the foods and trying new theories and concepts and having um exercised a lot in the past in the past as well, um, just had this mismatch of well I'm following the guidelines. I'm balancing my my calories, I'm eating less than I'm burning off. And although I wasn't, you know, classified as overweight or obese, I just didn't feel great or my best. I was 30, 31 and I thought, gosh, I should be feeling better than this. So um just started to come across other names in in nutrition um such as dr jason fung who's quite well known as fasting in intermittent fasting and talks a lot about um understanding the hormonal side of obesity and diabetes and all that side of thing and it's obviously all relevant to all of us whether we've got diabetes or not mm-hmm. um and just Little light bulb moments used to go off and I thought everybody is talking about that it's the sugar we should be looking at and not the fat. It totally flipped my understanding of around on, on the foods we should be eating as well. Yeah. So when, so when was that? How long ago? So that was, was that prior to 2016? Yeah. It was around 2015 to 16. So that whole year, um, we moved out of London, moved back near a family. So we, we were, you know, sort of, it was a change. It was a lifestyle change. And just alongside that gave me opportunities to just look into other things. And we wanted to start a family. And, um, I hadn't had a period for probably 15 months after coming on the contraceptive pill. I'd been on that for about 10 years or so. Um, I just thought, what, what's going on? And it, you know, something that I want to, Fix, you know, we want to fix ourselves if some if, if signs aren't going right. Mm. What do you think was the problem then? Were you, you know, in terms of you know not having a period, that typically is were you starving yourself? Is that really what the problem was? Very likely. And knowing what I know now, looking back on where I was in 2015, I was totally undernourished, totally right. every sense of the word, calories, vitamins, minerals protein for repair my diet was predominantly carbs okay it wasn't processed it wasn't particularly processed no sugary drinks you know not a lot of um desserts and and takeaways things like that this typical processed foods but when i look now it was 
all the pastas and everything was low fat. I was still on that low fat journey, which is still to this day, all my I can almost say, I can always guarantee that every client, when they send me their food diary, it will be low in fat and low in calories. And they're trying so hard to lose weight and feel healthy by undernourishing and um, under uh, uh, low, low calorie as well. And that's exactly where I was at that point. Yeah. This pasta's got a lot to say for itself, hasn't it? <laughs> that was my favourite food. Yeah. <laughs> so you started out on the journey. Then what happened? So we entered the medical route because I think with fertility, there's often a rush. You, you, as soon as you decide you want to start a family, um, you want it to happen that each month. And when it doesn't, um, you look for solutions, all the mainstream typical solutions. So although I was starting to gather a picture and make some dietary changes at home, we wanted to know we could be have as much help as possible. So started on the medication, that wasn't working, tried that for long enough. I think I was 32, 33 at this stage. Um, and so we got to a point where the specialists were like, well, IVF is really going to be your only option now. Still wasn't having a cycle unless it was medicated or brought on food medication. Um, and I wouldn't say I was low carb at this point either. I was certainly looking at how to switch out some of the low fat products too. One I remember was cottage cheese. I used to eat cottage cheese so much, but it was the low fat, no calories, great protein, of course, but wasn't what wasn't what my body needed and um so things like that just getting used to the new the, the taste being okay being okay to taste fat and for it to to, to taste calorific or, you know you know that feeling when something's got fat in it like it should have you know just being okay with that and yeah, am I going to put on weight am I not am I not so all those little changes were happening behind the scenes but we went forwards with with the idea um and and it was successful on the first first attempt which we are extremely fortunate and grateful for but my husband was in really good health so his side of the bargain was big tick 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 um and I just had to nourish myself and make sure that the you know that the the egg was of good quality and that that's where we start really with fertility nutrition for fertility is are you producing are you giving your eggs the environment for it to develop Mm. So that's developing with the nutrients it needs. So although we know we're born with all the eggs that we will ever have, as they mature to ovulation each month, they're maturing and in using the nutrients, you use your environment that impacts the quality of the egg at the point of ovulation. So there is, you know, that's where food and um, managing stress and getting good quality sleep, all those things that a that woman can do and be in control of, really can benefit the you know the, the likelihood of the egg being of good quality to um to be fertilized yeah and that's something we're not taught we don't know unless you really look into it we don't know about that yeah we, we don't know and we just you know we, we know we've got all the eggs we will have but we don't know we can actually influence the quality and it's the same with the sperm as well you can influence the quality of the sperm with the right environment in, internally so anti-inflammatory lots of vitamins and minerals that if you think if you're on a low fat low calorie diet you're not getting the vitamins and minerals in, in enough um, quantities that the body needs for all these complicated processes mm. with fertility and the reproductive system being one of the first systems in a, in a woman that will shut down under stress yes it's the first thing that, that goes and, and, you know, you ask, where do you think, what was my sort of issues? And I think that's what had happened. I was totally undernourished. My body internally felt like it was under stress. Uh -huh. So it shut down. Why would it want to bring, a, you know, a, a child into this stressful environment? And, um, once you're nourished and things like that, then yeah, it's all, all systems go and it's more likely to, to, to work for you that month. Yeah. So how did you? 
evolutionary, that makes sense. Because when you're thinking about the animal kingdom, you know, if you're starving, so if the animals are starving, then there's no way that they're going to put you at risk for reproduction. You know, that's that's evolution. That's obviously, you know, the species, you know, to be able to survive needs to have obviously plenty of food. So in where you're saying, you know, calories, the type of calories that you are having or in this case, not, mm. you know, when you think about what you did to nourish it, you know, from the calories then to sort of going to a, perhaps a higher fat, that makes sense that it's going to nourish the hormonal aspects of, you know, that particular system. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's the first thing I tell my, my lovely ladies is hormones are built on a, with a fat backbone. Mm. So we need to give our bodies that fat that they Okay, we generate some in, internally. The body's so good at automatically creating all these processes and things that we need, but we need to help it. And I'm such a believer in we are what we eat. And our health is a reflection of what we eat and what we give it. And there's even essential fats that the body can't make but needs, like the omega-3s. So we do need to be really mindful of getting those nutrients in and making that connection to nutrients and health. Mm. It's not just a given. <laughs> so, and this was, sorry, Jackie, I'll keep on cutting you off. <laughs> Go on, carry on. Cause I, I, my, no, it, well, it's it, super interesting because, um, when I first tried carnivore and obviously there was something just obviously in using the fatty proteins. And as you said, it's the type of fats. And I, whatever the ratios were of whatever I was eating, just as you said, that vitality, you know, because as a species, when I was obviously, you know, had maybe, I don't know what I was doing in which experiment, but I was trying carnivore, the energy, the, my skin, um, you know, my, my, even just, you know, my libido, it, it just was, you know, going through the roof and it was just like what is this you know thing and as you you know you're saying it's about you are what you eat and that was a a really when I think about it it was quite shocking obviously from what I'd come from I don't know what I was whatever experiment I was doing low carb wise but just focusing on this it was like a big bloom of energy and vitality or mood or you know all these noticeable effects was where has it happening mm. yeah, interesting that you had that because i did <laughs> so N- natalie when you were pregnant how did you eat then because that, that's the time when women quite often get fearful and leave low carb behind and go back to the standard western diet yeah, that's a great question because um I was, especially second time around with my second child, I was well into, you know, lower carb and, and higher fat, and that. And the first trimester is, it's, it's a, it's a really strange experience. Everyone experiences pregnancy differently, of course, but the common themes in the first trimester are your body just craves carbs and there is some physiological there's a lot of evidence and research out there that in that first trimester there's a reason why the body doesn't want certain foods which do tend to be the foods that are best for us i remember with my second child i couldn't i couldn't even look at broccoli for 15 weeks Mm. and you know and i'd gone from eating broccoli like every week through two three times a week to thinking i could i couldn't even put it near my mouth trying knowing why i needed to and things like that so my diet and i'm very honest and open with this with all my patients and all my clients especially those you know that that do go on to conceive and they you have to almost respect your body in that time yeah um you know we talk about that actually it's not about eating for two where you have this green light to just eat anything and everything there is, and I think it's because people feel so much better, like you described, Louise, on the, on the lower carb and, and high fat, that they don't want to risk going back to how they used to feel. But there's something about that first trimester that just appetite can, can go. You can find yourself with food aversions. 
the need for fingers and chips was a, a really regular meal. And, you know, that's the reality and that's fine. That's what your body is telling you you need. And it's a really short amount of time. It's not going to undo all the good work and all the behaviors that you've relearned and, and things like that. You just have to respect what the body is telling you through this really crazy <laughs> process that you have very little control over. But when you come out of the first trimester and certainly into the second and, and through to, you know, through to birth, I found I was very much back in control of my appetite, what I fancied. And so I would quite happily and easily have just scrambled eggs for breakfast, um, big salads, you know, all sorts of things like that. Didn't, didn't really crave carbs again until the very, very end where energy, energy demands go up again slightly. And it all, it does tend to come from the carbs at, at that point. Um, but again, you're listening to your body and things like that. So it's, it's totally safe. And, um, of course, having a, a lead up into the pregnancy, understanding how, um, how safe and fine it is and nutritious it is to follow low carb and, um, bring fats back into the diet that you don't lose those principles during pregnancy. Um, it's just individual experiences as you yeah. go through, yeah. And your body's guiding you to, to choose the foods that it feels it wants. So going with that, but keeping your low carb in mind, I guess. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's just not seeing pregnancy as like you, oh, I have to eat typical Western diet. I have to, because that's all we've known, it's all we've been told. Um, you know, you can manage your weight a, a lot more um, healthily through pregnancy with the lower carb, higher fat in, in the you know in the middle period. Um, you're getting because the main thing is you're getting all your nutrient needs. That that's the thing. You're you're getting everything from fats, from protein, from loads of veggies and things. So when your appetite catches back up again and you're able to eat these foods, then there's no worry that you're not getting what the body needs to, to develop in pregnancy but for yourself and, and the baby. Mm. There is part of that is obviously like morning sickness, as you said, you know, you're having that sort of hormonal adjustment and, you know, you can feel a bit queasy. And as you said, there were some food aversions. I remember cat food, whatever it was about, you know, having having my cat and it was just like, oh, it was just this, you know, this visceral reaction to some smells um, as you mentioned about some tastes, you know, it's such a interesting time to reflect on, um, as you said, those loophole thinking, you know, the thing is, oh, I am eating for two. So I'm going to go through my thing was, um, you said about fish fingers and chips. I had, um, the chicken tenders that was, was obviously a, a weekly treat, you know, drive through chicken tenders. And it was just, yeah. Oh, I'm eating, I'm eating for two. Of course I can have, have this, but. You know, now looking back, you, you've actually got two children. You said five and two and a half. You know, how, how are you managing the family, especially when there's all these extra pressures for, for children to be having their, um, three meals plus three snacks now? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a big area, a contentious area. I think first of all, it's really important to say that children are growing so rapidly. Their energy and nutrient needs are really high. So they do need more foods. And you know, as soon as they get the taste, you know, our taste buds are so automatic and programmed. We want the sweet tasting fruit. We want the, 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 you know, the, the breads, you know, things like that. So through the weaning process, Really, really more, um, you know, a lot easier to in- increase their palate to being familiar with all ranges of vegetables, having them raw, having them pureed, um, not having to give them automatically porridge or baby rice or bananas or crackers, you know, all those baby toddler foods now that are, are just convenient. Yeah. Okay? And also the guidelines for a lot of those foods are still based on UK dietary guidelines. So it does have to be low in fat, does have to be low in salt, does have to, but you know, sugar seems to again get the green light where we can give our kids as much as possible. But it's, it's very difficult because as soon as they start to taste these 
foods, maybe in a nursery setting or certainly at school, um, grandparents' houses and things like that, you know, as soon as they tried it, they don't forget it. Mm. So <laughs> it is more difficult, but they do need more energy and sometimes, you know, a scrambled egg on toast, um, pasta bolognese, you know, you're still, as long as they're still eating veggies and getting some meats in there and fish, even if it is fish fingers or you can, you know, you can make them yourselves occasionally. Um, the, the weaning time can really set up their, can really expand their palate so that when they are a lot more feeling in control of what they want and what they ask for, they're more familiar with veggies and fish and seafood and, um, you know, so it doesn't have to be the conventional kids' foods all the time. Yeah. They're a lot more open to trying veggies and meat and things. Mm. I, when we, when my boys were little, um, if we'd go to a restaurant, they, they have never eaten off a children's menu ever because it was always burgers, nuggets, rubbish food. They just didn't get that. We, we, they would, uh, I remember them, we must have been about seven, they must have been about seven when we went to France and we went to this restaurant and we were on the way traveling. We were driving down to the south of France and we stopped on the way and we went to this restaurant and what do you want? So Ben wanted a Philip steak <laughs> and he's seven. And, and how do you want it? I want it rare, blue. Um, and she just went gourmand because <laughs> they just know how they knew how to eat because they never had those sorts of foods. Yeah. Yeah. They just yeah. had meat and vegetables. And so even with all the rubbish that we used to eat, they still ate. Yes. Because they were familiar. They, you'd encourage them to see what you were eating. You served it. They tried it. It was familiar. So for, for a child, it's safe to save food. They're used to it. They're, of course, they've got to try it for the first time at one point. But just knowing that it's not scary or, or things like that, it, it, it helps. And the earlier and the more consistently we can do that as parents, then the more likely they are as they grow up to you know, still find those foods familiar and safe, whatever they then go on to choose <laughs> themselves. Yeah. They've still learnt that at yeah. a young age. Yeah, I think that's really important. On the other hand, <laughs> um, children with sensory issues, you know, this is, this is, I really struggled because, um, my son who did have very strong sort of food aversions. And even though I know that it's about repeating and repeating and repeat presentations and as you said it, you know, you normalize the food through, you know, continuous exposure. But um when Hayden ended up on medication for ADHD, so obviously that was obviously dexamphetamine, um, you know, that suppresses appetite. So that made it really hard to actually get anything in him for that period of time, which ended up a few, you know, a number of years. My, Monday to Friday, um, so that was obviously to help with school, but weekends, all bets were off. And it was almost like I have to make up all these calories, you know, all these nutrients. And as much as you tried to sort of, you know, nourish him, yeah, it was that was hard. The food aversions was particularly, you know, that battle that you just choose your battles. You know, I want you to have something, so, you know, I'm going to pacify, you know, that that relationship so yes yeah, uh, but this was the boy that would love cheesy pasta but you put bolognese on it it then not would not want a bolognese anywhere near that pasta it was just cheesy pasta so yeah i had to really pick my battles and now he's 23 and he's still a very fussy eater mm. but strangely he'll have a pizza and loves a like a meat pizza with olives and anchovies so it just i'm sure that there was some psychology behind food aversions and um controlling his mother trying to get his own way but yet still liking liking salty salty foods <laughs> is he still doing it to you i yeah, I don't know. Obviously, he's moved out of home and he's having to defend for himself now. And, you know, but there are things that if we go out when we catch up and, you know, he'll have a steak or he'll have, certainly he'll eat loads of carbs. You know, you know, he, all those, all the young men in the household just really 
were not embracing low carbohydrate, very carb centric. And it was hard because they, they were working at um, Burger King particularly. So they were exposed to, um, obviously, you know, very much lots and lots of carbs. Mm. Kids are, and I think it's very addictive and it's going to be quite natural and normal. So we're, we're in the, we're in the abnormal, <laughs> abnormal field. But then I think, how does that, as, as Natalie was saying, you know, obviously all this early exposure, this programming, and when obviously we're going through these developmental phases and then becoming increasingly insulin resistant and, you know, it manifests in very different ways. And you would know, um, you would see this, I don't know, when you see the boys change their diet, I certainly did with when our young, young men, you know, when they change their diet, their skin, so their skin changes, their the acne cleared up. But that for young women affects their their ovaries and becoming increasingly insulin resistant. And then women, you know, women transition into sort of having PCOS. So you can see that very early programming and lifestyle influences manifesting insulin resistance in many different parts of our body. Yeah, absolutely. And I went through all those tests too. I, I, so I, I wasn't picked up as, as having PCOS, which I possibly suspected at the time, but, um, that's exactly what I see with most of my, with most of my clients at the moment. And it's, a, it's a history of PCOS, but not knowing of the insulin resistance link. So always insulin resistance with everybody. It can be adrenals. It can be um, high testosterone due to really high stressful environment. There's that coming off the pill can um, can trigger um, PCOS as well. But predominantly, it is insulin resistance that has gone un, undiagnosed for you know in, in a lot of cases since the period started and still the, the the typical management of um painful periods um is putting a, a woman on the pill that's still the main treatment of helping a helping a woman to or you know a teenager even to um to you know to, to function at that at that time of the month so when they're then um wanting to start a family and okay, you come off the pill, and in some cases, um, that's when the PCOS is diagnosed. If it hadn't been earlier on, yeah. So, so, and then, so that treatment is, oh, well, what do I do now? I don't want to take the hormonal pill anymore, but I'm still experiencing all these um, symptoms um, that that high testosterone causes and it's not the same in everybody again it's very individual experience but they are all uh it's all it's a syndrome of different symptoms acne facial hair insulin resistance as its own symptom it's in its own right so um this is where then the lifestyle the, the nourishment the stress reducing the improving sleep the cutting down on caffeine and alcohol and sugar has to be considered to try and reverse those symptoms and get your ovaries working again for you and if you if you're working with somebody who has pcos and think they, they make the changes that you suggest how long until they start to feel better it's so individualized as as everyone you you've probably spoken to that's tried low carb or, or you know and then high fat oh how did that go for you did you you know some people will say oh I felt this and others will say oh I felt that and I didn't experience that so it's I do work with people on a three-month basis mm -hmm. over three months and then um a three-month break and then a, and a follow-up so you can see how three to six months is if anything it's also um a behavioral change time yeah. period as well so the more uh, a person can adopt the changes uh, and the quicker they can the more likely they will see improvements in symptoms um so it's very individual it's it's very also based on on the individual as well as as how 
much they're ready to to make all of these changes and in their own timeline but um you know three to six months we can start to see some improvements in in energy in the menstrual cycle um skin acne and, and hair hair loss or facial hair tends to take a little bit longer to improve but that doesn't mean things are improving metabolically and with with and hormonally as well so there's lots of different ways we can track and monitor improvements and, and if anything and if, if the most important is that is the if the woman is telling me I feel great I feel this I've got I've got my libido back my my cycle is regular you know with, with all these trackers that we can we can do these days if they're inclined and want to to use them that's great as long as the, the the woman is starting to feel better and all our other signs are improving then then i feel like they're on a just an upward track to to getting their um reversing their pcos symptoms and if they are trying to conceive then you know that's the ultimate end goal for them as well mm. i think it's a really it's such a woman you know focused in terms of you know the the conception the journey to to you know having a baby because you're less of a woman if you can't conceive that you're barren you know that this is a real test to you know so so heart-wrenchingly when you know when you wish your wish is to be a parent but your body has all these problems that you know you thought you were doing as you said you thought I was eating the eat well plate I was doing the right thing I was following the dietary guidelines but my body hasn't obviously you know responded you know I'm I'm a failure you know what am I doing wrong and then obviously through your own journey you're now helping your clients to go well you know, let's start with nourishing your body you know let's produce those good quality eggs and the best way that we can feed those ovaries sort of thing you know you can imagine um is really changing the way that we we nourish you you know to give it all those as you said the backbone to the hormones is is fats but do you find many of your clients still you know in that low fat low calorie mentality are they resistive to that idea or have you been able to sell them that you know your ovaries need fats yeah it's um they aren't resistant to it but it's new, right? It's, an, it's a new concept. It's like, gosh, I didn't expect you to say that. And of course, when we're talking about fats and healthy fats, they are exactly that. They come from healthy sources. So it's not like we're giving the green light to, um, you know, having all these processed vegetable oils and things like that. It's not just fat per se. It's, um, you know, the right sources of fat. But, you know, like I said, 99% of, of women will be following the low fat low calorie even subconsciously that's what's that's what's the most um the most eye-opening thing when you know, report back to them on, on their food diary and we look at it together and I've done a bit of an analysis first of all it it's always low fat and there's always not enough food so then to, for, for someone to hear me tell them that what well, I can eat more and I can eat more fat <laughs> you know it does take a little bit of time for them to get their heads around it but within fertility within the you know the area of infertility often women have tried everything mm-hmm. before then nu- nutrition is just oh what about that what about and you know there's the obvious that most women trying to conceive will try there's um, cutting down on caffeine cutting down on alcohol cutting down on takeaways everyone does that that's a that's a no-brainer we know that we know that link but even more so that that doesn't um, address the diet that doesn't they might be trying to have a bit more veg you know it might be or fruit fruit, smoothies don't get don't get me started on smoothies (laughs) you're absolutely right that's it The, the, the fruit goes up everything else <laughs> the alcohol and the, the caffeine goes down and the water might come up as well but yeah so then there yeah there, there, there's all of that and of course if you have got PCOS as well the fruit just isn't going to be helping so we have to break down a lot of those barriers and um but in terms of 
am I, you know, selling it in a term, in a way that this will help you? You know, there's so much evidence and research and lovely books out there now um, that if I just can point a lot of people to those resources if they want the background and, you know, the scientific proof and, and things like that. But um, through through my story, through an open, honest conversation with, with my clients, we, you know, we always end almost always end up saying, well, it's worth a chop, isn't it? Mm. You know, I've tried everything else. Let's try this. And so that's when we're like, right, let's go. Let's do this and let's make this happen. Yeah. But even still, even if, you know, um, they can't conceive naturally and they go down, obviously, the assisted fertility route, at least their body will obviously, like you, you know, that one try, whether that was because you'd already, you know, really primed yourself to to receive, you know, the, the IVF, at least their body is in a better, you know, a baseline is, is better to receive the assisted fertility. Yeah. Exactly. The treatment is is fantastic and it's there and it works for people. Um, there is no denying that if you are experiencing multiple failed attempts, other things have to be considered. The, tr- the treatment isn't a magic wand. And if we can do that, the treatment alongside environment and lifestyle changes, then you are really giving yourself the best chance mm. definitely i totally agree <clears throat> so that the the body has to be nourished and ready you know as louise said earlier evolutionary it, if it's not safe to have a baby if it's not safe to bring that baby into the world then your body won't do it so we have yeah. to create the environment internally to to be able to do that i just remember back to you know the time like pre preconception and it was just like yeah you're absolutely right you 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 just become quite dogmatic about you know taking those prenatal vitamins you know going off the alcohol um you know it was hard for me I was shift working as a paramedic so yeah obviously my sleep was already disturbed but certainly you were monitoring obviously you know your ovulation and you know you're sort of watching what was happening in your cycles and I don't know, I must have been one of those real lucky ones because, yeah, I, I came off the pill and obviously within within a very short space of time um, I was, yeah, I was pregnant unbeknownst to me. So I was sort of like, oh, I don't know how that happened. Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because I wasn't particularly health conscious or health focused at that time, but um just obviously very, very, you know, grateful that I was, I didn't have to struggle with that like yourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what your diet looks like now today. Okay. Yes. So um, I'm still very much a lover of eggs for breakfast um, in all sorts of ways, scrambled egg with butter or olive or extra virgin olive oil, salt and pepper, uh, maybe some bacon, smoked salmon, avocados with 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 that for breakfast. Um, big salads for lunch. Um, I would rarely snack. Would rarely snack mid mid morning. Um, so salads of spinach and leaves, all loads of salad veggies. Um, and then always a protein source, either tuna, um, ham, some cheeses, um, whether that's goat's cheese, feta cheese, not always cow's milk um, cheese, um, nuts, seeds, again, extra virgin olive oil dressing, um, spices, olives, just to make it really interesting and like I want to eat it because salads get a really negative reputation which is just a bit of iceberg lettuce thrown in Tupperware with a few bits of cucumber and pepper and plain chicken breast thrown on top because that's the low fat low calorie way right so I do try and make salads exciting for you know my clients to get a two-week meal plan as well so we build lots of ideas around salads um the 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 other really great um lunch most people say to me i really struggle with lunches breakfast i can do dinners i've got ideas for what about lunch we want it to be quick easy we might be at work might be out and about 
um, leftovers. Leftovers are such a fantastic and convenient lunch. So if you have got time to prepare your evening meal, use your leftovers for lunch rather than another evening meal where your routine might be set up to cook for an evening meal. Use the leftovers for your lunch. If you can reheat them anywhere or if you're working from home, obviously you've got access to a microwave or oven. So that's a really big top tip. And I use leftovers for lunch all the time. Um, and then evening meals would consist of, so yeah, rice, pasta are just, we haven't eaten them for five years, six years maybe. Um, spiralizing courgette is like a lifesaver for, for us here. So we will still have really typical traditional meals like bolognese, um, chili, um, a carbonara type meal where the courgette is, is the spaghetti, um, loads of tray bakes. So any type of veggies just chopped, chopped into a big roasting tin with chicken thighs or chorizo um, or salmon. Again, loads of, uh, loads of spices and herbs and olive oil for flavor, salt and pepper. So it's really boosting the flavor of, of these meals through herbs and spices. Um, and then 85% um, dark chocolate is, is very common in, in my diet. So I'm not unrealistic in terms of, you know, we have social occasions, there's birthdays, there's Christmas. But if you can eat low carb, high fat most of the time, then having the occasional dessert, having the occasional bacon sandwich with sourdough and tomato, grilled tomatoes, it's okay, but we've got to get your body recovered, prepared, insulin working right for you, weight loss if that's a factor. Then, you know, in the future, we can consider how well then your body can control its blood sugar and, and the hormonal response to eating more carbs. Mm, yeah. So what about women who are entering menopause? Because that's now, oh, here go the hormones again. They're off on some other track now. <laughs> How do you help women with entering menopause? Yeah, I to be honest, I am more of the perimenopause and fertility side of um, helping women. But the perimenopause obviously is the start of that. And again, if you can adopt these um, the, these food behaviours, then it's going to help see you through that stage. So um, there is some anecdotal evidence in in a few low carb communities where very low carb keto um isn't ideal for the menopause stage i i haven't got any research on that to, to bring to the podcast now but um there is certainly and i do question whether it's how the individual has adopted that diet it you know having too much butter having um the what are the coffees bulletproof coffees and having too much of that is not going to suit everybody and we have to remember we are all individual and we individually react to different foods and diets anyway um, but again keeping things simple with nutrition if the sugar can come out the diet lower caffeine lower alcohol loads of veggies enough fat plenty of protein it it should support you through that then that phase of life. Mm, yeah. I have a question though. Like, I mean, even though you sort of said it, you know, anecdotally, what would be the physiology though? Like I don't, I'm trying to sort of trying to think um, why that would be a bad thing. Why would be lowering, you know, like a lower carb keto sort of approach would be bad for for that? Yeah, I think, and again, this is just anecdotally and from some GP um, colleagues, um, the weight weight slows down or they gain weight. It's it's weight related rather than sure. um, hormonal or you know. So yeah, it's it's definitely an area that I want to um, research in, in in a bit more. But yeah, you know, in terms of energy. Um, and mood 
that hasn't been reported as not improving. So I think there's something about weight gain in in menopause with with too much fat. Mm. Oh, oh, okay, right. So yeah, and I and certainly it is a perimenopause, which is really that that say that five years between actually before, isn't it? For like it's that period before obviously menopause, which is obviously yeah. the where we have the absence of of a period for a period of time. So you know, a menstrual period for one year and then obviously there's the hormonal levels are are obviously within within those ranges so you know and typically you know women obviously a range of you know symptoms obviously it's as you said sleep disturbances the hot and cold flushes um what else is there skin drying low libido um mood yeah hair drying thinning and, and, and drying hair yeah hair falling out um yeah it's pretty much everything and anything you know in terms of this there's no one sort of it's quite a long list of of symptoms but um yeah it's it certainly has been an interesting journey for me as i um as i sort of have come to understand physiologically what is happening to my body at this particular time and i'm very very conscious about one um it weight weight gain and two is maintaining my lean body mass because every year I obviously go over 50, then I'm concerned about muscle loss, which is bone loss, which is obviously osteoporosis as estrogen is really important in, in, in this process. So however, whatever I can do to nourish my body, to make sure that I'm giving it plenty of healthy fats and protein to maintain my body mass. Um, but it's a cycle too, like cycling in and out of these hot flushes. You know, it seems to be it's consistently inconsistent is some of these symptoms as well. Mm. You've got all that to look forward to. Frustrating. Absolutely, it's frustrating. Yeah. And yeah. Mean, meanwhile, I'm trying to work. I'm trying to have, you know, be productive in society and still contribute as opposed to being a hot hormonal mess. <laughs> so what does the future look like for you, Natalie? I just want to help more women to, um, you know, to, con- to conceive or to, to manage their health and to have this mindset that food matters. Food matters for health, for, for long-term health, for the future. Um, and I feel like doing that through um, my Living a Fertile Lifestyle program and managing PCOS. At the moment, it's one-to-one. I'd love to do some bigger group sessions, um, some um, programs that people can download and own and have access to this information. Um, That's that's really what I'd love to feel like over, over the years, just building on the number of women that I can support. Yeah, fabulous. And with your practice, you sort of mentioned one-to-one, so that's obviously do you do that face-to-face or are you actually you can do the do telehealth as well? Yeah, it's all online. It's all, um, yeah, Zoom or, or Teams that I tend to use, one or the other, um, very much like, like this. So um, it's three to four sessions on on zoom or teams and um i find that it's it is a great platform for building rapport it it doesn't have to be in person face to face um a lot of my you know it it means i can be accessible to more people um doesn't have to be resigned to my local area or surrounding areas so it's it's really accelerated that for me being able to to reach more people online Yeah, much easier nowadays. When I set up, I I always planned to use Zoom, and I was using Zoom even before we went into lockdown. So, great. So, why don't you tell the listeners where actually they can um, the name of your service and where they can reach you? Yeah, so mainly it's through my website, which is nataliecoglin.com. I am an infrequent user of Instagram, but I do um, have a page there, which is natalie underscore coglin. So you can find me there. The the best way is to sign up on my website um, and then you will have access to my um, 
monthly email. So we have a community over email um, for for yeah free, free free newsletters and 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 the like. And then of course my programs, which are living a fertile lifestyle, managing PCOS, um, and eating better for busy women, um, are all available currently at, on a one to one basis. Brilliant. So before we finish, why don't you tell our listeners your three top tips? Three top tips that are all nutrition related, of course, um, is to cut down on carbs, yep. increase your vegetables, like seriously increase vegetables at each meal. A couple of broccoli heads and some carrots is not going to cut it. <laughs> you know, we're talking salads, roasted veggies, loads of veggies in with, with meat dishes and fish dishes with omelettes for breakfast don't be afraid of of vegetables um and finally is don't fear fat embrace fat Mm. find the healthy fat sources that that work for you that you can enjoy there's so many out there so bring fat back into the diet and don't fear it Do do you find that you get clients that say oh i can't eat fat i can't eat fatty cuts of meat and how do you help that that yeah, so I say try it because their why of contacting me in the first place is a significant health reason. Yeah. And we say, you've got nothing to lose. Try it. Typically, those those feelings towards fatty cuts of meat are just um, habit, habitual. Learn as a child, learn from someone else's reaction, learn from a parent's reaction to, oh, you shouldn't be eating that or cut that off you know so we're at this stage we're our own person we're our own individual now I just really encourage and support women to to try it to buy one thing to buy um lamb you know some people haven't eaten lamb for example for years um it's not that they don't like the, the flavor it's just come out of the diet for one reason or another that we've, that we've mentioned. So we just say, what have you got to lose? Bring it back. And you know what? Nine times out of ten, they always say, oh, my husband will be so pleased. So, you know, <laughs> the men want to eat it. The men haven't got these fat aversions and fearing of fat to, for health and weight loss. So it, it really suits everybody <laughs> in the family. Yeah. Fabulous. Natalie, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Great to meet you. So, Jackie, there's a real, a lot about what Natalie's story, you know, has has revealed that there's so much more to the role that diet has in terms of fertility and improving fertility and obviously, you know, the outcomes obviously in, in having healthy fertility means having babies that's got to be you know a great thing yes and i think you know we tend to think of low carbohydrates diets in terms of as you get older for combating type 2 diabetes and other chronic illnesses but i think we really do need to look to the young people to start saying you need to address your diet sooner especially if you want to have you know if you don't plan on having children there's no big thing but if you do plan on having children um i think young people do understand that diet plays a role but what they have is that education around the eat well plate and high carbohydrate lots of vegetables very little meat very little fat and actually what we know is that not only does that spike our insulin as you said earlier but it also we're not getting enough fats and proteins to build another body and to create the hormones that we need to even start the pregnancy going. So, you know, if we don't address that, and I think this is where some of the plant-based agenda is, is doing us a disservice because now people are finding that they can't have children or it's taking so much longer than they expected and it's such a challenge. And we see a lot of PCOS as well, which is all all related. Yeah, Yeah. and it was really interesting because 
for me when I understood the role of obviously insulin, but it's the role of insulin across all of the the body systems, you know, the body in targeting various organs. You know, when you think about the role of, say, insulin on the ovary and what we have is, you know, diabetic type um, ovaries, which creates all those, you know, hormonal imbalances, you know, where we see insulin's role, you know, obviously in the brain and we talk about type 3 diabetes, you know, Alzheimer's. So managing, obviously, the, the insulin is obviously around the intervention as having a therapeutic restriction of carbohydrates, you know, a low-carbohydrate diet to manage that. But what we're trying to do, as you said, is making sure that we have healthy fats, the backbone of those fats for those hormones, you know, the protein, as you said, you know, for all those structures so we can actually have, you know, as you said, building another baby, you know, another body, another human um, and having all the appropriate building blocks there. So, yeah, and that all goes back to diet. So I think, you know, that that's such a shame when we're medicating our way through, which has a role, don't get me wrong, um, medication and, you know, interventions have a role, but you just have to wonder sometimes that it's, uh, starting with what we eat is is really a, a great place to start. Yeah, and I, and I think creating that body that can support another life because, you know, our role as a human being in, you know, in the traditional sense is it's not going to bring a child, you know, you're not going to be able to conceive a child if it's not safe to do so. The same as a pregnant woman will not give birth if it's not safe to do so. So the the last thing she's going to be is vulnerable and put her own body at risk. So these are the things that shut down, first of all. Totally. And women notice it with their periods, you know, going longer mm-hmm. in between or not having periods. And that's all hormonal, the hormonal effect, but it's the body's way of saying this is not safe at the moment. But equally so, you know, when I sort of mentioned, you know, when I first went carnivore and I just had that, you know, surge of obviously replenishing, um, you know, new nutrients and that's that vitality and virility, you can understand when there's obviously, you know, adequate nutrition that everything works well. So, um, yeah, that was just, yeah, that wanting to, I want to bottle that feeling. It was it was so good, but you can understand on the as you said on the flip side of that that when we don't have that when we're you know deplete and we're not getting all our our nutrients our micronutrients particularly or even the essential fatty acids or essential amino acids then you can understand that conservation which is ex- exactly what you're saying. Yeah. The body conserves what it can't you know you can't support a new life so yeah but. So great that we've got Natalie there as an advocate, you know, in um, in that space to be able to help prospective um, women, families in, in wanting to, um, yeah, enjoy. You've got the gift. You've got two gifts, you know. I've got the three gifts, you know. That's, um, yeah, the gift of, of children is something that's, um, yeah, very special. Yeah. And for me, the intervention that i had the ivf was needed because i only had half an ovary and so mm. the chances of that happening naturally were very slim uh, even if i had been attending to my diet properly at the time but um who, who knows whether that would have happened or not you know as you said you know yeah with with the the half half an ovary that you had but but for people that have all the working environment the working bits you know diet should be their first choice of intervention i think Mm -hmm. and then if that's not working with time then start to look at the alternatives Mm -hmm. because you're going to create such a much healthier environment for your baby to grow in and and have a healthier baby i guess definitely and we all want that where can we get the show notes for this episode, Jackie? 
So the show notes can be found at fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash 112. Great. As you know, Natalie and I met at the Public Health Collaboration Conference in May this year. And Sam Felton of episode 10 and the founder of the Public Health Collaboration wants me to ask you to save the date for the conference in 2023. Tickets won't be on sale until nearer Christmas, but the dates are Friday the 19th and Saturday the 20th of May 2023. So get those dates in your diary and make sure you don't book anything else for the time. Are you setting yourself some goals or trying some N of 1 experiments? Or do you want to find out if the, what you're doing is suits you and is helpful to you? Then the Fabulously Keto Diet and Lifestyle Journal is an excellent companion for you to set your goals, see what's working for you and help you achieve your goals. To order your copy, go to Amazon in your country and search for the Fabulously Keto Diet and Lifestyle Journal. Or you can go to the show notes and click the link that's there. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulously keto and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Would you like to join our Facebook group? Search for Fabulously Keto on Facebook. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto 1. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle Fabulously Keto 1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories, and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication.